The monsoon season may be just a few days behind us, but when it comes to the challenges that Arizona State has to face, it seems like it's been a never-ending rainstorm. A shutout loss 29 to nothing by Fresno State last weekend in Tempe more than epitomizes the problems that the Sun Devil offense has had to face in this young 2023 season. To discuss those issues and more importantly try to find a remedy to them, I'm joined by one of the most talented football minds I've been around in my 24 years covering the team, my former staff writer Cole Topham, who was there at the game last Saturday night and will offer his observations on the state of the team. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get this thing started. Welcome to the Devil's Junkies podcast. I'm your host and devilsitis.com publisher, Hodrabino. And even though the scoreboard provided a goose egg for the Sun Devils, there's still plenty to chew on when it comes to dissecting the performance of the Arizona State offense. And we would be remiss if we also did not also examine the ASU defense, which under the circumstances, not only last weekend, but for the first three games of the year, has been playing exceptionally well. So to discuss those topics, it's my pleasure to welcome the, the Suara High School football team analyst and social media creative director, and someone who I'm proud to call a Devil's Digest staff alumnus, Cole Topham. Cole, thank you for joining the podcast. It's been a while. How you been? I've been good. I mean, just in the in the craziness of the high school football season, we got a big game against uh, Sierra Canyon this week, number three team in California. So we're preparing for that, but just enjoying the ride, enjoying this new journey. And uh, man, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's good to have a break from being on the sidelines and up in the press box, but <laughs> I do miss it sometimes and I haven't missed a game yet. So. Well, good. Well, that's, uh, that's why we invited you uh, to on the podcast to discuss this. And we're also going to talk a little later on about another big time uh, Arizona SoCal matchup uh, this Saturday night in Tempe, but let's uh, first look at last Saturday night, uh, the Fresno state loss 29 to nothing and some will say it's uh, way too simplistic to talk about the quantity and the quality of the injury of the injuries. I'm sorry that this ASU offense had to deal with, especially at the quarterback position, not only prior to the game but also during the contest itself. But do you feel that the discussion of the offensive shortcomings needs to really start there, or do you feel there's maybe a more overarching issue at hand that we need to examine? Yeah, hundred percent. I think. It wouldn't be proper context to include those injuries before mentioning anything else because, you know, the game, it's it's one with scheme, of course. Like, you you design these plays for the players on the field and who you expect to be in your starting lineup. And when those guys don't fill in the gaps, then you're supposed to rely on your depth. And, I mean, it's, it's up to the coaches to get these players ready. But when you're bringing in the amount of transfers that Kenny Dillingham has tried to overall his roster with in one offseason, like inevitably some of those guys just aren't going to be ready. And the Sun Devils kind of came into the season with a good, uh, you know, front 11 on offense that they felt good about that they were creating explosives in fall camp with and throughout spring. Um, and they've just they've just caught the injury bug. And it's it's really nothing that the team could have prepared for honestly um it's just it's the nature of the game it's it's a physical game um injuries happen in football and the sun devils have just kind of gotten the short end of the stick with it and so the game is won with those players that are on the field um and the guys that were on the field 
on Saturday night against a good Fresno State team just simply didn't reach that talent standard that you need to compete against that caliber caliber of a program. Uh, Fresno State, they're a good team. They're physical. Um, they commanded the trenches. They've got uh, you know, a good, good offensive scheme. They've got a defense that keeps them in games. Like they're just a really well-rounded team. And the Sun Devils weren't that in order to compete against, against Fresno State and the Bulldogs. What have you seen in the first two games prior to the Fresno State contest that you would maybe point to warning signs? And I know everybody talks about the Southern Utah season opener, two and a half hour, halftime, weather delay, that maybe you should throw that game out of the window. But it still was concerning mm-hmm. to see the offense not play well in the second half. And then it was deja vu all over again against Oklahoma State. It was a decent uh, first half for the offense, but then second half, uh, another uh, goose egg on the scoreboard. And the Arizona State offense has not scored now in the last six quarters. Did you see any warning signs, uh, Cole, in those two first two contests that even injuries aside, you felt, yeah, they're going to have issues against Fresno State. And let's not forget, it's a defense that was giving up over 30 points a game coming mm-hmm. into Tempe. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really simple, in my opinion. It starts with the offensive line and establishing the run. Uh, it's what every offense wants to do. It's what every defense wants to stop. And especially when you consider the, the scheme that Dillingham and his staff have put together. Um, and you when you consider that the freshman quarterback and Jaden Rashada started those first two games, you need to get the run game going in order to take that weight off his shoulders, be content handing the rock off, getting five yards a pop, and then opening up that play action stuff that you can that you can really take advantage of with that extra space um, with a quarterback who's still you know getting acclimated to the offense, getting acclimated to his weapons, and seeing the field. Uh, and with the offensive line just kind of patchwork, patchwork the way it is, still finding its identity, still getting its its feet under them, and having to plug in some people that you know maybe not aren't quite ready yet to, to be starting uh, a, a full game at that position, then this, the crack started to, to, to show the pressure started seeping through um, your run game, you know, isn't as stable as you want it to be. And so that makes you one dimensional. And that was the biggest thing that I saw is, Teams are just playing the Sun Devils differently because they stop the run early in the game, make them one dimensional and force Jaden Rashada initially, but also, you know, Trent Borgay, Drew Pine, Jacob Conover to pass the ball and are able to create some turnovers just off the nature of having the ball in the air pretty much every every single play. Um, and so that's the biggest thing that I've seen is is the injuries on the offensive line and just the quality of the offensive line play because of those injuries, because these guys have been forced to step up into roles that they necessarily may not have been ready for, but their number is called and have to be put in that position is the biggest thing that I've seen. And it's it's made the Sun Devils kind of predictable in that aspect. You've got Bull Baldwin up in the booth having to, you know, with the signal callers rotating out, you know, every other series has to adjust his game plan for each quarterback and what their strengths are and and the stuff that he knows are their strengths in practice and trying to implement that in real time on the field. And it's, it's just an impossible task when, you know, that element of the game is taken away and you thought would be a, a pretty significant strength for the Sun Devils early on here. And like I mentioned earlier, to, um, to add insult to injury, you had both Trent Borgay and Drew Pine actually leave the game uh, with with injuries. But let's talk about their performance uh, individually. And let's start with uh, Trent Borgay. Uh, he, he did throw an interception uh, in, in his first series, I believe it was. And I don't feel like it really rattled him or the offense at all, because if you recall, this, the next series, 
he actually uh, completed uh, five passes uh, in succession and then uh, did did get injured, um, uh, you know, I think uh, shortly after that. Did you see some sparks, for lack of a better term, from Borgay that kind of reminded you of some of his better games last year that you could look back? And I, I hate to play the, the, the coulda, shoulda game, but if Borgay was healthy for longer stretches during that game against Fresno State, do you feel that the offense maybe had a pretty good chance to start getting on track? Because, again, Borgay offered just a, a little spark that we didn't see uh, earlier in the contest. I mean, I thought, yeah, that first drive maybe isn't reflective of uh, his his performance against Colorado that we saw against Arizona last season. But even his interception, I didn't think it was a bad read. I thought it was just a misjudge of the actual spacing that he had to get the ball to the receiver. Um, I thought it was, it was a good read. He may have just overestimated his abilities to layer the football over the top of the defender. And ultimately, it was it was that flat defender that came off his assignment and drifted back and made a good play, you know, read his eyeballs and was able to, to capture the turnover for Fresno state. But that second drive, it it really did seem like he was seeing the field. Well, he was delivering the ball on time, um, delivering the ball in places that only his receivers could get it. There was that one nice sideline grab by uh, Andre Johnson, I believe. And it really did seem like the Sun Devils were going to march down into the red zone and score that drive until the unfortunate foot, uh, foot ankle injury happened. Not sure about the injury specifics, but it knocked him out of the game. And then um, Drew Pine comes in. They just send ultimate pressure from the, from the right side of the line, uh, the left side of the Sun Devils O-line and just overwhelm it and get the turnover and uh, it's just that's just an unfortunate situation because all that momentum wiped out by uh, Borgay, um, you just can't capitalize on it. So I did think the Sun Devils were in position, were in a good position when Borgay, um, you know, kind of collected his wits about him, bounced back from the interception, and it did seem like he had a good command of the offense and what they were trying to execute. So you mentioned that all the heat that uh, Drew Pine was uh, getting from the Fresno State defense, and as we know. Uh, not one, but two uh, fumbles lost uh, by Pine uh, during uh, his series. Uh, do you feel that it almost seems like maybe Fresno State gave Borgay more respect and not being as aggressive uh, when they faced him versus Drew Pine? Or do you think maybe that's uh, just a, a coincidence that Pine was really uh, getting the brunt of the heat, uh, so to speak, compared to Borgay? And, and Pine, by the way, also uh, throwed, uh, threw, I'm sorry, not one, but two interceptions. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure if it's just the contrast of tape because they would have had tape from uh, Drew Pine at Notre Dame last season and see how like he reacted to certain things. I think it was more just the nature of the situation that dictated it. Um, You know, Fresno State probably knew what type of quarterback Borgay was coming in, that he was good about picking up the pressure, um, you know, seeing where the pressure was coming from and then just replacing the ball with it. And they they probably had a different game plan coming in about how they were going to play Borgay. But once Borgay is out and you bring in Pine, you know, it's everything's off the table at that point. Like you're, you're coming into the game uh, just in a, in a situation where you feel like you need to score as the backup quarterback and not, um, not allow this momentum of the drive to dissipate. And Fresno State was probably like, it's the backup quarterback. Let's just send pressure and see how he reacts to it. And obviously Pine reacted poorly to that. And once it worked, why would you stop? Right. And, and that's what we saw from Fresno State was just this relentless pressure, um, you know, putting their guys on their islands and just, you know, pinning their ears back and going after Pine. And, you know, Arizona State really didn't have an answer for it. And once you don't show that you have an answer for it, um, there's really 
there's really no excuse for Fresno State in in dialing back the pressure if they were to do that. And we have to talk about uh, the series uh, that, that started a three-yard line first and goal where ASU uh, tried to run the ball uh, three times, only got to the lip of the end zone on the one-yard line. And on, on fourth down, uh, they uh, did uh, attempt to pass by Pine. First of all, I thought that was uh, Pine's uh, best drive by far. He found uh, mm-hmm. Badger for 24 yards, uh, did uh, run 11 yards uh, himself for a first down. But now that they got down to the goal line, and this is my theory, and you might agree or, di- agree or disagree, I go back to the Oklahoma State game. And when they ran the Sparky direct snap formation, it was working like a charm the first half. Second half, the Cowboys uh, cracked the code. Uh, ASU was failing time and time again. And I almost feel like when they faced Fresno State in a situation probably that would call for that direct snap formation once again, that they really kind of, uh, you know, shied away. They went with the I formation, uh, George Hart um, as the fullback. I mean, do you think it was uh, maybe uh, the, I would say, apprehension that they already showed that on tape just the week before they felt Fresno State would be really more ready for that than a quote unquote traditional um, I formation trying to run the ball down the gut. And that's why ASU even though they failed, decided to uh, take that route. Yeah, I mean, when you're on the goal line like that, I mean, you look at the NFL nowadays, you look at the Eagles, like everyone's thinking QB sneak in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I was thinking in the stands when I when I watched it as well. But I think what Kenny Dillingham, what Bull Baldwin are thinking in that situation is – we want to put the ball in Drew Pine's hands because we've gotten stuff trying to run the ball the previous downs. And so what we want to do is we want to give Drew Pine an outlet where he can make a play on the run with his legs, because we've seen what happens when he's forced to hold onto the ball um, in the pocket on those previous series where, where he fumbled the rock away. And so that's why I think they called this rollout is, okay, let's, let's get Drew Pine away from, you know, all the, all the stuff that's happening in the trenches, give him, give him a, a few reads that he can, you know, go one, two, three, you know, true progression on the run with, and like, let's see what happens. And ultimately it was the offensive line. Once again, that kind of crumbled initially the integrity of it and didn't allow that entire process of the rollout to, occur in the proper fashion that it can so you got pressure in his face um you've got you know guys filtering to the to that side of the field once they realize what's going on with the bootleg and ultimately um it it really isn't it really isn't drew pine's fault that the play ended up the way it was um he was just caught in a situation where he didn't have any protection to that side um and he was forced to he was just forced to create on the fly before his routes had gotten to the proper landmarks where he can make a throw we look at the runs uh, on first, second, and third down that didn't succeed. I mean, do you also feel that maybe they intentionally um, didn't do the direct snap, wanted to go with an eye formation just to show Fresno State a different look that they did not see that much on film? Yeah, I mean, definitely. That I mean, that's that's all part of it, right? Is those mind games that you play. Um, you know, they probably they they shown that that uh you know wild scat formation, I guess mm-hmm. is what we're gonna call it um, <laughs> previously. And they probably wanted to go with another goal line look that they hadn't shown on tape yet. Um, that that they assumed Fresno State wouldn't be ready for it, or that they would have a higher chance of completing. So I'm sure that definitely factored into the play calling there. Um, and honestly, I don't I don't even think that the call was uh, when you, when you think about it, and when you think about what went wrong for Pine on those previous drives, 
And if you were to put the ball in his hands on a fourth down situation, what that call would look like, that's what I would, that's why what I would expect the call to look like. And it just didn't, the integrity of, of the protection didn't necessarily allow for the play call to develop like it was designed up. So let's, um, you know, move over over to the defense. And I know that, you know, when you were on staff last year, you're, you're a big fan of of Brian Ward and what he did at Washington state. And he did a great job uh, analyzing uh, his defense prior to the ASU at Washington state matchup, you know, last November. And, you know, you were also in spring practice and you, and you got to see that defense, you know, up close, I guess, maybe from your perspective, when you talk about Brian Ward's scheme and definitely an elevated uh, town level compared to last year, you're not surprised in the, you're not surprised seeing that unit doing really well uh, under the circumstances and against Fresno state. It's just amazing that the two touchdowns that the uh, Bulldogs scored were on the first drive of the game and the first, in the first drive of the second half. And, even though ASU turned off the ball eight times, uh, only five of those turnovers were "quote unquote" uh, punished by the by the Fresno State and were punished via field goal, uh, but they but still were kept uh, out of the end zone. Um, you know what? What do you see from this ASU defense? Not only last Saturday, but really all season long. Um, I feel that they're just really called to bail out bail out the offense time and time again, not getting a whole lot of support, but really keeping the end of the bargain. Yeah. I mean, they really fly to the ball. They fight. Um, they rally around a tackle. It seems like there's no one out there just making solo tackles. Like there, there are a handful of defenders that are closing in that if that one guy, you know, isn't able to wrap up, he's met immediately by that, you know, reinforcements uh, coming in. And so the biggest thing I see with Brian Ward's defense is just that speed aspect of you never know, like what, what the play call is going to be like, there's, there's just certain uh, rotations to the defense that allows the pass rush to hit home. And that's where we've seen like Shamari Simmons flying up the gut for the sack. You've seen cap blitzes uh, on back-to-back drives from road torrents where he's able to, to get into the backfield and, and, you know, take advantage of what Fresno State's running back checks are on the play. It seemed like that the Fresno State running back was checking to see if the linebacker was blitzing. And by the time Roe Torrance came in, it was too late. Uh, it was, you know, just Roe Torrance is a big guy. Like, <laughs> you're not stopping that guy with full speed, full speed heading to your quarterback. So I thought the game plan was creative. Uh, it seems like he, he really trusts his guys to fulfill their roles in his defense. Um, and, you know, even though like you feel like the depth isn't where it's supposed to be, maybe at safety and at linebacker, it seems like those guys, like at least the starter, um, the surface level are doing a really good job of, of you know, boltoning down the hatches and you're going to allow explosives, but I haven't seen anything that's been like too outstanding over the top where guys are just getting clean beat, you know, down the sideline or, or just, you know, carved up through the middle. It seems like all the explosives that have been allowed are because of of those situations where um, you know one guy goes for a rip, you know, ripping on the ball and trying to intercept it or break it up, and it just ends up you know falling through his grasp and and uh, the the nature of it, the play just it, it crumbles down, right? So I, I I've I've been a big fan of what Brian Ward has been doing, um, just in terms of bring bring pressure, trusting his guys on islands. Um, and really ultimately just creating that pressure with the defensive ends that we didn't see last year. And I think what's interesting that uh, the defense playing as well as they are, you feel like 
there is a, a good comfort level. I mean, even though you brought so many new faces uh, together in one year and obviously no new defensive coordinator, new scheme, that everything is coming together pretty well, uh, especially for this early in the season. But when I did ask Kenny Dillingham, and not, a, not, a, not necessarily I disagree with his answer, but I did ask not to nitpick the defense, but not creating even one turnover through th- uh, first three games, where, where do you put your finger on as being the culprit of that? And he said, it is the comfort level, which I happen to agree actually with the answer. So I know it's kind of uh, a paradox over here that on the one hand, this defense is comfortable enough to play at a, at a very high level. And again, even though the scoreboard's not really going to show it, they played a very good game against, uh, against Fresno State. But on the other hand, it's still not comfortable enough for this defense to be truly menacing and now turning over the ball multiple times, uh, you know, each and every Saturday. Do you feel that it's really all up to the comfort level and that's why we're not seeing the turnovers yet? And let's face it, I don't want to put too much on the defense because the offense definitely has to hold up their own end. But until this defense really starts creating turnovers and multiple uh, of them each and every week, this offense may even have a harder time scoring. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely that has to be on uh, the staff's mind and everything. And there is that element of luck with turnovers where – um, you, you never know what's going to happen if uh, a blind side hit is going to disrupt the ball um, and it's going to pop up in the air where a defensive back or a linebacker can can snatch it away and return it. Uh, if, if a pass is going to sail uh, on a sideline go route and it, it, it's under it's underthrown and the DB is just in good position, like all that stuff is is just down to luck. Ultimately, like if, if you play your role, if you're confident in the scheme, like those turnovers are going to come like it, it's not just you can't you can't try and manufacture turnovers all the time. You can't have your scheme like based around that. Otherwise, you're just going to get punished. And so I think what is what is like and what Coach Dillingham was saying is most important is that the guys are comfortable executing what is the call on the field. Right. And if they're doing that and if they're comfortable reading their keys and, and uh, rallying to the football and and just, just being around the ball, then the turnovers will come. They've just, they just haven't been able to uh, produce those through the first three weeks. And it's not like they haven't had opportunities. D Ford had a, had a dropped interception. Um, Like I said earlier, like Ro Torrance, I'm pretty sure there was a, there was a 50, 50 ball that he just whiffed on that ended up, you know, going for a touchdown that easily could have gone the other way if he had played it correctly. So um, it it really does ultimately just come to those, those chances where uh, the playmakers just haven't been able to, uh, you know, time it up perfectly. So we're looking at the game against USC this Saturday and (laughs) needless to say, if there's any game you want to try to bounce back, especially on offense, uh, USC is probably not the opponent that you want to try to uh, do that against. But with everything going on right now with the ASU offense, when you talk about uncertainty at quarterback, I mean, you could see Jacob Conover starting on Saturday for all we know. And we talk about right. the injuries on the offensive line. And as somebody who obviously has seen, uh, already has seen USC, uh, you know, begin the season uh, the, the way they are. I mean, what do you think would be, the best approach under all the circumstances I just mentioned for this ASU offense to, you know, get back on track, get on the scoreboard to begin with, but more importantly, just, you know, show us that everything they tried to do in the week to come is somewhat coming to fruition, even though it may not result in a victory, but at least we're seeing a different offense than we've seen the last uh, two, three weeks. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, you're game planning against the, against the best quarterback in the country, playing in one of the best schemes in the country, playing for the best co- one of the best coaches in the country. So, I mean, USC, they're br- going to bring firepower. I think they have basically every level of the field covered with just the arsenal of playmakers at their disposal. Um, there's really nothing in Lincoln Riley's playbook that he can't delve into uh, in order to beat his opponents. Like, and his his answers to his play calls as well are going to have secondary answers that he can capitalize upon, and they're going to be be prepared. They have the personnel to to basically do whatever they want. Um, and so, I mean, that's where if you're ASU, you just have to be multiple and adapt to to what they're doing. Um, I think, like, I mean, ASU has seen pretty much uh, just spread eleven personnel so far, and I think USC is is probably going to bring some split back looks, some some twelve personnel that. Uh, might challenge him a little bit and and kind of get him out of their comfort zone. I think the only way that ASU really has a has a good chance of winning this game is if they can dial up the pressure on Caleb Williams, um, be risky and and how they you know tee off on him and and see what sticks. Because I mean it's clear that the the pass rush has been improved this season and guys are hitting home. Guys are hitting home with speed and when everything you know works according to plan that front four hits fast and the, the pocket can constrict at a, at a, at a pretty, you know, high frequency uh, if the front four is getting, you know, the, their way up front. So that's really the only way I see it is, is try and speed up Caleb Williams clock, force him to be overconfident in his abilities. And like you said, uh, try and produce some turnovers. And in terms of the offense, how, how would you attack the, the, the USC defense? Again, there's a lot of, uh, hand, handcuffing, if you will, that uh, the ASC offense is dealing with. But, you know, with the USC defense that I'm not saying has played poorly by any means, but, uh, but mm-hmm. it maybe showed some cracks, you know, here and there. Um, what do you think, uh, again, with all the circumstances the Sun Devils are dealing with, what would be their uh, best approach uh, to try to attack this uh, USC defense? Yeah, I mean, you got to you gotta find a way to establish a run. If you can't do that, you got to delve into your bag of run replacement plays where you can, it's just quick passes to get your playmakers in space and see what they can do after the catch if if your blocking schemes up front aren't working. Um, especially with, you know, a quarterback and Drew Pine who might have some confidence issues shaken after last game, after how it went. Jacob Conover, um, you, you know, you don't really, he hasn't had that many, you know, in-game action outside of, of the game against Fresno State. So you probably don't want the ball in his hands um, for an extended period of time. So just trying to get the ball out quick and also taking advantage, seeing if the defense can give you um, favorable field position that you can capitalize on. Right. And that's that's ultimately what it comes down to is, is can you can you can you quench USC's drive pretty early, get favorable field position and then you can you capitalize on on that field position? And that's really the way I see ASU standing, staying in this game. Um, it's just it's just doing those 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 few things. And once again, like this USC run defense doesn't really look all that improved compared to last season. Um if they if they can finally establish the run against this unit, I think they'll be in a good shape to make it a competitive game. Well, Cole, as always, I really appreciate your analysis. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, continued uh, luck uh, over there at Soar High School. And I uh, definitely look forward to having you on the podcast uh, later on uh, this year, uh, hopefully under uh, better results uh, by, the, by the Sun Devils. But uh, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Helen. Had a blast as always. And that will do it for this episode of the Devil's Junkies podcast. Thanks again to my guest, Cole Topham, offering his perspective of Arizona State. Our podcast today is just one component of our content that we will have this week leading up to the Saturday 
night home game versus USC. So make sure that you don't miss any of our coverage. Hit that subscribe button on our website, devilsdigest.com, and your premium membership will grant you access to all of our preview features, pregame discussion, as well as our in-game coverage and post-game content. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll talk next week. Thank you.